Morrison trust deficit worsens, Liberals with questions to answer, election battle lines drawn, and the good news is about Fortnite and Ukraine. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. I am your co-host Ben Davison and joining me by the lovely harbour city that is Sydney in the kleptocracy of neoliberal debacle, to quote the Premier, City of Sydney is the great, the glorious, the best-selling author of QAnon on Van Batham. How are you, Van? Oh, Benny, I miss you. This is hard. Yes, it is hard. It's really hard being apart. I don't like it. No, we're not we're not as good apart as we are together, it's fair to say. No. We, no. we, we have been separated, of course, partly it was COVID last year, and now, obviously, your mother is still not very well. And Van, you, you are spending time with her, which is much needed. But we will be together soon in the next few days. And we will be coming to visit you, Germanicus and I, with my mum uh, over Easter. Literally the best news ever. And I realise everyone has said, don't go overboard with Easter Van. But I go overboard. <laughs> like, that's my whole act. And can I just say, Ben... You will be stunned. You will be stunned at the level of overboard I have gone. Well, look, talking about going overboard, can we? We're going to get. We're going to focus in because we've got a lot to get through this week. And when it comes to going overboard, I think Scott Morrison's reputation, his trust with the Australian public, has totally gone overboard and is now sunk in- like the goddamn Titanic. Let's be very honest here. No one trusts him anymore. No one trusts him anymore. Is he a liar? I don't think. I know. No (laughs) one trusts him anymore. Well, it's been a remarkable seven days for Scott Morrison from the budget on Tuesday. Serial lying, yes. Well, from the budget on Tuesday night through to this moment on Wednesday afternoon, the 6th of April, Morrison has eroded his own standing in the public, which was already not at great heights, it has to be said, and culminating in today's efforts. I mean, by the time you listen to this, uh, listeners, you've probably already moved on to the next round of foot-in-mouth lies that Morrison has told. But we've had everything, haven't we? We've had a Liberal senator get up on budget night and just rip into him, call him an autocrat, a bully, unfit to be prime minister. We've had him go on 7.30 uh, and and try, I suppose, try and draw a line under it, but totally do the opposite of that by pretending that somehow his intervention in the New South Wales pre-selections for the Liberal Party was about, this is what he said, he, that he stood up for the women in my team which, and yet most of the people whose pre-selections he's defended are men. And, of course, Liberal Senator Conchetta Ferravanti-Wells, who lost her pre-selection, has come out immediately and gone, this is total bilgewater. He, even Dominic Perrottet has called the whole situation. She's so conservative, though. Can we just put this in context? To see someone like Conchetta Ferravanti-Wells uh, contribute to this discussion about Morrison, like she is an arch conservative and absolute hard right arch conservative a person who uses the word bilge water <laughs> i think it says i mean yeah please um i think it says much for her to turn on morrison because morrison was supposed to be the great straddler of the factions that he, you know, from this sort of Christian faction within the Liberal Party would be the one to speak both to the hard right conservatives like Chetiferi Vanti Wells and the West Australians and, you know, the other sort of conservatives and was the compromise candidate, remember, when he stabbed Malcolm Turnbull. And for her to rip into him like this is, well... Even even his good friend, the boy prince of New South Wales, Dominic Perrottet, has called the whole thing a debacle. Like it, it's really. I mean, it's ended up at the High Court. You know, there will now be liberal candidates who will probably have been candidates for less than a week when the election is called. 
Uh, and, you know, as of 3.30 on the 6th of April, the election has not been called. He's apparently just in the last hour or so said it won't be called tomorrow either. Who knows with this guy? He says one thing one day and something else the other. Classic example, Van, is last night he was on 7.30 and he said that Gladys Berejiklian had denied calling him a horrible, horrible person. Of course, text messages, the, the screen caps of the text messages were, were put out in the media today because uh, Gladys Berejiklian did in fact call him a horrible, horrible person and he has had to since clarify that when he talked to her about it, she told him she had no memory of it. Now, <laughs> it's one thing to have no memory of a text message. It's another thing to have no memory of a text message that's calling the Prime Minister and the leader of your party a horrible, horrible person while it's being discussed in public over the course of several months. Oh, there have been some very funny tweets about it. Tim Tim, Dun- Tim Dunlop, a Twitter wag, um, had a good line on it today, which I will paraphrase, which is like, absolutely nothing is a more effective denial that you are in fact a horrible, horrible, horrible person than going on national television and behaving like a horrible, horrible person. Right? And that's where we are. I mean, people saw in that interview he was belligerent. He did that alternation between berating and smug, like all of the things, like he lied. If if you're trying to convey to the Australian people that you're not that you're not actually a smug, belligerent liar. Maybe going on television, being smug, belligerent and lying is not the best strategy for really combating that mythology. I mean, it was extraordinary. It, it really was. And, and you know, he – I've started uh, – I've started – saving all of the ABC fact checks about Scott Morrison because another one came out today where he'd made some outrageous claim about uh, what his government has done to combat climate change. And, of course, ABC fact check has found it to be misleading. Uh, so now I'm just getting a pile of these and I'll, I'll <laughs> just I just keep tweeting them out because he he's just consistently lying. And you know, Australian Unions had a, has a really good uh, meme about this too. It's the the reviews are in on Scott Morrison, and I think they got it from Julian Hill, uh, the Labor MP. Uh, but of course, they've made it into a really slick meme. Uh, and the reviews on Scott Morrison, Barnaby Joyce, he's a hypocrite and a liar. Gladys Berejiklian obviously uh, says he's a horrible, horrible person. Conchenta Ferranti Wells. He's an autocrat, a bully who has no moral compass. Malcolm Turnbull, Scott has always had a reputation for telling lies. Michael Twoke, who was a liberal pre-selection uh, opponent of Scott Morrison's, called him a compulsive liar. There was accusations that Scott Morrison had tried to use Michael Twoke's ethnic background against him. Yeah, so Mike Tauk, I think his surname is pronounced. Oh, Tauk, sorry, my apologies. Yeah, so um, obviously the seat of Cook is in the Sutherland Shire, not necessarily renowned as being the most culturally diverse area of New South Wales, and I'm allowed to say it because I grew up here and, um, well, I certainly went to school in the Sutherland Shire. I grew up, fortunately, mm-hmm. slightly elsewhere. But, um, but yeah, Michael Tack, and this has surfaced from the extremely controversial pre-selection of Scott Morrison numerous years ago, the tout carried the branch by more than 90%. And, the, I mean, which in pre-selection terms is pretty thumping, conclusive. Thumping victory. Thumping victory. Ben, why aren't you involved in political parties? And it's like the words pre-selection process, they just chill my heart. Um, and But, that, I mean, that's conclusive, 90, more than 90%. But Morrison had it overturned, didn't he? And there was, he and did. He had been, it overturned by the party executive. And there's been accusations that he brought into question issues around race, around religion, and Morrison, and, and you know, this has come up before, but the new information I think here is that Morrison volunteered to take a stat deck, saying he basically said that he would – Happily sign a stat deck denying that he used race as a as a weapon 
in his pre-selection. Yes, because a stat deck, a stat deck exists from Tauk and various other people saying that he did. Like they, there are documents that were used to contest <laughs> what happened that said that Morrison had been going around um, smearing Tauk as a secret Muslim. I mean, can you imagine? One, the dude is a Maronite Catholic, somewhat different. Two, really this shouldn't matter and who would care, but obviously somebody did and this is the rumour and there are legal documents where people have attested and could be prosecuted for perjury if they are found to be lying. And that's, so and the, that's, the, and that's the key, right, man, because you, you, if you sign a stat deck and it's proven that you've lied, that, that there, is a, there is a perjury penalty for that. And Morrison, yeah. having, said, having said that he would sign a stat deck on this issue, has then backtracked and news.com is reporting that he backtracked on the offer to do a stat deck. Now, the only reason one can imagine that he would backtrack on such uh, an offer is because someone has pointed out to him that unlike his television appearances, the lies that he tells in parliament, the lies that he tells in newspapers, the lies that he tells on radio, lying on a stat deck can actually carry criminal penalties, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the guys in the I mean, I I hate to say it, but there's a pattern of evidence. I mean, don't take my word for it, lefty in the corner. Why don't we ask some people who know Scott Morrison really well? Let's do a list. Gladys Berejiklian, Conchetta Ferravanti-Wells, Malcolm Turnbull, Michael Tack, Mike Barnaby Charles. The other one. The president of France. He lied to the president of France. Oh, look. Who lied to the president of France? You know, he, he, and he, even, he even wrote that off on, on ABC 730 by – Trying to imply that that Emmanuel Macron, President of France, was just a bit upset because Scott Morrison had cancelled a ninety billion dollars sub project. Oh, now, well, this is the response, isn't it? And because this is the response, note the pattern, everybody. Everybody's just upset. Oh, Scott Morrison, he's perfectly reasonable, and people just accuse him of lying or making things up because they're just, you know, he gaslights everyone. It, and it's amazing too, because let's be honest, the president of France may have been a little bit upset at the time, but Scott Morrison has now had to write a check for five billion dollars for those subs that we're not getting from France. So, so France, free money to France, free money for France, and it's not like they're not going to build subs for other people. Now we talk about asking people to know him well. One of the things that they came out, and this was. Uh, an opinion piece written in The Guardian, the, the masthead that, that you write for too, Van, by Catherine Cusack, who, for those of us not familiar with the New South Wales State Upper House, is soon to be a former New South Wales State Upper House MP. A former state New South Wales Liberal Upper House MP? Liberal, liberal. And the, the, the title of her op-ed in, included the words, I cannot vote for the re-election of a Scott Morrison government. That is phenomenal. Like I've seen. Oh the- yeah, but she's just disappointed or bitter or. But you this know, is. I mean, this is the thing. They're always just disappointed or bitter. This like this this pile of bodies like left in the wake but, of Scott Morrison's duplicity and. But imp- Ben, let's 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 put that sort of concept to bed too, because. Catherine Cusack was not up for pre-selection. She was not up for re-election. She had quite a significant term of office left to serve. She has not put her hand up for a leadership role and been denied. She could have quite easily continued in her role in the state upper house of New South Wales and, and continued to collect her parliamentary paycheck and do her job and turn up to committees and do whatever. There is no reason for her to to throw in the towel except for the reasons that she's given. And the reasons she has given are very clear, that Scott Morrison is essentially an immoral leader, that he has uh, given money to some people based on politics and not others based on politics, that he is not fit to lead the country and that she can no longer be part of the Liberal Party, which she says she spent most of her 
adult life as a member of uh, and has obviously served as an MP, she cannot continue to be part of that party and she won't even vote for that party while Scott Morrison is the leader. That's that's damning. That's not somebody who's a bit upset because Scott Morrison decided to buy a different type of submarine or you know, didn't get their pre-selection. Catherine Cusack has no motivations other than she lives in a flood area, an area that has been flooded in northern New South Wales. Her neighbours, her friends are being denied support because they live in a Liberal lower house seat while other neighbours and friends are being supported because they live in a Liberal-held lower house seat. Like, it's as fundamental as the man's perverted the purpose of government, isn't it? It's pretty bad. I mean, it's just all bad because the problem is, everyone, that how can anyone trust a word that comes out of Scott Morrison's mouth? Like the pattern of lying is so ingrained. When he says, oh, no, no, we're reviewing that process, who would believe him? Oh, there's going to be improvement to this policy or this service. I don't believe him. I don't believe him on jobs. I don't believe him on investment. I don't believe him on defence. I don't believe him on diplomacy. I don't believe him on anything anymore. And no one should. He lied to the president of France and had to sign a $5 billion cheque of our money, our money, $5 billion, to compensate for that. Like, this is this is the situation that we're in. An election is coming. The Liberals are going to stand up and say, oh, we're doing all these things and we've got solutions and we've got plans. Really? What's the evidence? What's Scott Morrison's word? You know, you are as only good as your word in politics. And this is what, I mean, this stuff is just so destructive because we live in a world where there is so much fake news, these really calcified disinformation channels, the bad faith actors have invested all of this money in, you know, institutional trust has got to be, like for the sake of democracy, has got to be stronger than it's ever been. You should be able to trust elected politicians. You should in a democracy because they're accountable to the people. And when that trust is broken, like why wouldn't you, you know, believe no one or believe nothing or become completely nihilistic and think that all, you know, the entire democratic project is doomed. Like it's actually to be a, to be a liar on this level in a democracy is essentially to be complicit with an authoritarian project that says we don't elect our leaders, the people in charge own the violence and they can do whatever they like. And, and that's, that's the kind of principle you're establishing. And it spills into a whole range of things. And I raised on the weekend rap uh, that Josh Frydenberg mishandled the question he was asked about Michael Sucker getting up in Parliament and saying that the Liberals were going to reduce the cost of medicine and he was very specific about the numbers and how much and how many people and the rest of it. But, of course, that speech was written before the budget, given after the budget, and is and those measures are not in the budget. So it has come to light that Michael Sucker has then tried to alter the Hansard, not go back to the parliament and apologise and say, I misspoke, I said the wrong thing, this, this, I withdraw those comments. You know, that, that's not our policy. Da da da. Not, not doing that. Not doing the honest, upfront, democratic thing, but doing the sneaky, behind the scenes, semi-authoritarian. Change the record, as though, you know, there is film of it. It's like Michael Sucker. There is film of you standing up in Parliament, saying those things, announcing a policy which the Morrison government is not funding and it, and has not made law and will not make law. You can't just alter the written record so that hopefully nobody ever remembers. You know, that when that culture of lying and deceit is embedded at the very top level, it filters down and filters through. And, you know, something as simple as just correcting the record, just taking responsibility and going, I gave a speech yesterday that was incorrect. It was based on old information. I apologise to the House. I apologise to the people, and I wish to withdraw those comments. Some simple, easy to do, but they won't do it, and it filters right through because we're seeing it happen with others as well, aren't we, Van? Yeah, we are. It's absolutely appalling. Like I'm really disturbed. I mean, I've been saying this a lot recently. Like I'm ideologically opposed to like the centre-right Liberal project, 
right? I don't think property is the be-all and end-all of society. I wish we lived in a society that, that uh, where the state and therefore the people own the means of production. Like I'm, I'm not embarrassed about that. That is a principle I will fight for. But at the same time, like I have this sort of Pollyanna view of democracy that that actually we're all invested in it, even our ideological opponents on the centre-right um, are invested in that project and understand that democracy is this, you know, fragile, precious thing, is the only mechanism, political mechanism the world has ever seen that delivers anything remotely approaching equality. I mean, and the dead giveaway, friends and neighbours, is that let's talk about women's rights in non-democratic countries because they don't really have them. Yeah. Let's talk about LGBTQIA rights. No. I mean, come on. Like, be, yeah. be yeah. real. Like, these are opportunities. Workers' rights. Workers' rights. These are opportunities you only get in democratic societies. And just the level of just lying and corruption from the Liberals. Like this is not how this is supposed to be played. We are supposed to be contesting ideas. It is supposed to be the likes of Ben and I going, actually, we should democratise the means of production. Actually, we should expand the franchise of workers' rights. In fact, we should have a taxation system that redistribute. I can't say the word today. <laughs> That's it. Like wealth more fairly. You know, all of these things, and we should be arguing the toss on that. Yeah, absolutely. Right now we're in the situation is that the government is not functional and it's certainly not representing the democratic values that, you know. And it's it's interesting too, Van, because I I note that, you know, the the minimum wage case submissions all went in on Friday and and you see in that mechanism, which is a a uniquely Australian mechanism, part of our democracy where the union movement put in a claim for um, 5% minimum wage increase, which, you know, really just only just gets people a a real terms pay increase. And you see all the peak bodies of different business lobby groups put in claims that would essentially cut wages. And then there's a process whereby, you know, experts have come together to form a panel that's appointed by the government that we elect you know, weigh up the various submissions and then make a decision and that flows through and one in four Australians' wages are set by that process. You know, that's that's a democratic model. And, you know, I've been involved in that and disappointed by the outcome sometimes and happy with the outcome sometimes. And you, you know, you've got to you've got to kind of respect that the system is not always going to turn out your way. What we have with the Liberals is this sort of constant undermining of these systems, of these processes, the kind of attacks on unions and to say unions have no role and they have no place. And, you know, at the same time, actually, unions are delivering more democracy. They're delivering better wages. They're delivering better job security. You know, and as always we say, join your union, australianunions.org.au slash wow. You can join online anytime, day or night. It'll sort you out. But when you when you couple that kind of ideological uh, desire to destroy your opponent with a with a moral vacuum, uh, or as Senator Conchetta Ferravanti-Wells would say, no moral compass, then it's just lies and deceit and misleading. Oh, it's just unbearable. Like I genuinely find it unbearable because it's, you know, it just it's a betrayal of democracy and it's a betrayal of how we're supposed to make our best decisions. Like the, the lesson you learn as an adult and I'm sure every adult listening to this has appreciated this. The moment you become an adult is when you realise you cannot make the best decisions with faulty information. You actually need the truth in order to make the best decisions. And the way that our political process is supposed to work is with transparency, honesty, accountability through the media before the people and to one another, you know, our parliamentary process is set up around, you know, these questions and answers and estimates and investigations and reviews and parliamentary inquiries and committees and all of these things in order to determine 
what is true because when we know what is true, we can, we can uh, you know, apply our relative ideologies depending on who is power, in power to make the best decision. And, and I think this is becoming corrupted. And, and Van, you know, you, you raised the point about the truth and I saw uh, today the Australian Federal Police uh, uh, Association, the, the, the body that represents AFP officers, has called again for for a national ICAC. Of course, there was no uh, funding for an independent uh, corruption commission in the budget. Morrison's essentially let that drop off the table. And and I want to move us on to talking about why that has happened because you know you raise the issue about media media investigations. You raise the issue about truth about how we make decisions. And of course, we're going to have as a nation, a big decision to make in May with the election. And the truth of the matter is there are liberals with some serious questions to answer, and if they're not answered through the media and with with something like the truth at least, they may well have to answer it before federal ICAC in the future. And and I'm, I'm talking here about some of the investigations that people like Friendly Geordies have done, some of the investigations that The Guardian has now turned up. Uh, Sydney Morning Herald had a piece uh, recently about uh, about lambing. There is, there is an increasing pool of information that suggests that there are serious questions for the Liberal Party to answer. Oh, there really are. So for those of you who haven't seen the latest Friendly Geordies video, there are questions about um, I'm sure everybody remembers our friend. Now, now I remember I, I, it's only just happened just before we've we've started recording, but the video uh, that the Geordie shot about the Spark Hellmore investigation, which was called The Prayer Room, uh, has been taken down by YouTube. Uh, it is still on the Friendly Geordie's uh, webpage, but just so people know, if you if you are looking for the Friendly Geordies video on uh, the topic we're about to talk about, you'll have to go to their new The Truth uh, webpage rather than looking for it on YouTube because, as I understand it, there's now some, not surprising for, for Jordan Shanks and his team, some legal controversy about the content of the video itself. Well, this is the thing. I mean, the video raises questions about accountability. And they're questions that wouldn't be raised if any, like if uh, the character of this particular federal federal liberal national government was established as truthful and honest. Because we've seen, like we saw when Michaela Cash refused to give evidence to the AFP about her role in, you know, leaking, um, uh, answer questions about the role of her office in leaking information to the media about a raid on the offices of the Australian Workers' Union. Um, we've seen constant like paper shuffling that there are going to be investigations. Investigations are announced, conclusions are never drawn. Um, we've seen this again and again and again with this government, this like around Angus Taylor and grasslands, Angus Ta- Taylor and, you know, the Watergate um, a scandal around Clovermore and just who was saying what about the mayor, Lord Mayor of Sydney and all of the, like, it's just scandal after scandal, none of which is actually dealt with in a transparent way. And, it, you know, a couple of YouTubers have been putting together videos asking questions about where have, where are the accountability processes around investigations that are announced by the government, pursued and then disappear. You know, these and these are questions about, you know, behaviour in Parliament House, the scandals that resulted in the wake of the allegations by Brittany Higgins about what had happened to her in Parliament House. It, like it is, it, it's a desperate concern. There's a culture of lack of transparency, lack of accountability, and the Prime Minister, who is the individual who the buck is supposed to stop with, seems to be dancing with the bucks all the way. Like the buck is not stopping. The buck should, you know, keep going. And I think it is, you know, people should, you know, be able to see that if the government has conducted an investigation, has spent money uh, engaging a law firm, and, and I'm calling it the Spark Helmore investigation because that's the name of the law firm 
that was contracted to do it. And it comes, it came in the wake of um, a Channel 10 report about, um, about sexual misconduct in Parliament House. And that's really what the investigation was into, uh, was looking into. You know, people should be able to access the findings of that report. And, and if people have been wrongly accused, then the report should, you know, make that clear and, and clear their names. And there should be accountability and exoneration. Absolutely. And I mean, that's, that's another part of accountability, right? isn't it? You know, that's what everybody wants. I want to yeah. have more trust in government, even if it's a government that I don't like, even if it's a government I disagree with. I want to, at the end of the day, you know, have it established that the government, even if they don't like me or agree with what I stand for, are acting in my best interests as an Australian, as opposed to, oh, I don't know, cultures of secrecy that tend to indicate when that secrecy is repeated again and again and again and again and again, that perhaps our best interests as a nation, as a community, are not their priority. And and it's not just that Spark Helmore investigation either. As you've you you've mentioned some Already, but of course, the the Geordie's crew did a video about uh, Peter Dutton's connection to SCD remanufactured vehicles, which came on the back of Peter Dutton doing his own video for SCD remanufactured vehicles, which was an ad for them. They're a they're a car uh, dealership in Queensland, and it raises serious questions about. Peter Dutton's connection to that business, his connection to the owners of that business, the behaviours of the owners of that business. And of course, there's no, we, we all know or have known people in our lives who you look back and go, gee, I really wish they hadn't behaved like that. I'm really glad I didn't participate in that behaviour. But when you're the defence minister or the home affairs minister, grants, billions of dollars in grants. When you're responsible for, there you go, we've just won a grant, uh, when you're responsible for uh, the defence of the country, then who you're spending time with and who you're making you know, promotional videos for is of national interest and, and their behaviours could be compromising. You know, they, they, These are questions that have to be answered. You can't well, and just this ignore is what them. Happens. The more trust breaks down, the more those questions do need to be asked. So I've had an interesting week uh, given the fact that I um, came across a speech that was given by a Queensland MP the other day, very relevant to my interests, as you can imagine, given the fact that I wrote mm. Q and on and on a short and shocking history of informa- a short and shocking history of inform- of internet conspiracy cults. And of course, in my book, I talk about how, Internet conspiracy cults like QAnon, like Pizzagate, you know, these are used by Russian and other Chinese, Saudi Arabian, um, uh, inf- like for information war, that mm. the disinformation pipelines that are created by conspiracy theorists online are weaponized by bad faith political actors, not only in like non-democracies, but also anti-democratic activists within democracies. Yep. We know that people like Steve Bannon use disinformation pipelines. My book goes into some, some detail about how that's made. But our friend George Christensen, who might be apparently leaving politics, but is certainly a member of the Morrison Liberal Government, Liberal National Government. He's LNP, which is the diffusion yeah. brand um, by which the Liberal Party called themselves in Queensland, where they caucus with the Nationals. Yeah. Um, he this speech from this Labor MP put together like a, a series of tweets and other social media appearances by. George Christensen, who we all know is famously, you know, just asking questions about uh, vaccination and, you know, peers and all these right-wing channels, has published pictures of himself posing with guns saying that he'd like to shoot greenies, you know, and the rest of it. Apparently a Doctor Who fan, not really Mm. getting the point of Doctor Who. No. He never uses violence, George, but, you know, I guess we can't help what we love. But um, this speech made the point that George Christensen has tweeted things like, uh, East Ukraine is ethnically Russian and wants to be part of Russia. Obama should leave well alone. This is from 2014. Last thing we need is another war. And there's like an entire trail 
of comments from him saying things like, I think Russia is demonised unfairly. Um, It's a democracy, eastern Ukraine, Crimea, ethnically Russian. Russia, the real reason ISIS is losing. And, like, these kind of extremely pro-Russian comments that he's made. Um, And these are, of course, all Kremlin talking points. They're pro-Putin, really, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, these are the the talking points. Russia is demonised unfairly. Russia is not a threat to the West. It's interesting. Ask a Ukrainian. Ask a Pole. Ask a Finn. Ask a Swede. Um, Russia is a democracy, really. I mean, um, that's interesting. Um, Russia did not shoot down MH17, which was that plane full of Australians that the Russians did shoot down. Like... He has engaged with this content. He's made these kind of assertions. And, of course, we're all supposed to go, oh, no, it's all perfectly innocent, it's all perfectly fine. Like in the co- and he's appearing at anti-vax rallies and very much engaging with that disinformation environment, like these communities that I hide in and write about. Like George Christensen is all over those. He goes to the rallies. He wears the T-shirts. He went on the, like the um, Dingo podcast, who were the guys they're, you know, far right. He spoke at a Reclaim Australia rally in Mackay. Like again and again and again, he keeps turning up in what we would consider to be very untrustworthy channels of participation and disinformation. And he's, and he's setting up his own now too, Van, right? Because it's, and this is one of the pieces that The Guardian has come out with, is that it turns out he's been using his parliamentary communications budgets to to build a list of contacts for people to keep in touch with George after he leaves Parliament. And he's already announced that he intends to sort of start a sort of media network, some kind of media career, uh, and that he's and he has been using large amounts of Facebook advertising, pushing those messages he talked about, trying to harvest people's data, get them to fill in surveys that takes them to non-parliamentary places, effectively takes them to George's personal, corporate, whatever you want to call it, uh, to harvest that data. I mean, this is... I want to be clear, like he's been conspicuously quiet since the invasion of Ukraine on that particular incident. He did walk back his MH17 comments when he came under rightful pressure for them. But George Christensen was absolutely vital in the global disinformation pipeline that spread lies about the um, election of Joe Biden in the United States. Like George Christensen was giving statements that that the US election had been stolen, something that we know is demonstrably untrue. And, you know, the crazy right wingers have all their, you know, fancy fantasy audits of the vote, recount everything. The result keeps coming back that Joe Biden conclusively won the US election. But George Christensen, a member of parliament, a person who is in the government by virtue of being an LNP MP, has pushed these, like, has pushed Kremlin talking points, quite frankly, um, and election conspiracies from the United States, from the, from the hard right. And this Queensland MP asked the question, like, does he know what he's doing, in which case he's complicit, or is he just going along with what he's gaining from online disinformation propaganda, at which point he's a complete patsy. And, and this is the problem. Like truth has eroded in this government. There are questions and transparency that need to be asked of the likes of George Christensen. How involved is he in disinformation pipelines? Is it deliberate or is it accidental? And given the facts are just as bad, he's trying to like stoke these disinformation communities that further spread the nonsense propaganda he goes on with. It's hard for a reasonable person to think that he's not aware of at least the impact of these kinds of messages given he wants to start his own pipeline, his own media channels uh, that he's trying, that he's effectively using uh, our collective resources to do it at the moment. You know, it seems that even even under the kind of uh, most naive and innocent of scenarios, George is at very least, at the very least aware that there is money to be made by pursuing these messages. A post-parliamentary career as a self-appointed internet influencer is really concerning. It really I mean, is. I copped, I copped a lot of grief. I published a Guardian column a couple of years ago saying we should just pay out politicians when they retire. 
just yeah. play it out. You know, and my argument is that these are people who are privy to secrets of national security. These are people who have advantageous information about how this country works and they're corruptible. They're absolutely corruptible. I think we should pay out politicians to just stay. To, they're allowed to get on the train with their magical ticket, go to every school in the country and teach them all how the Constitution works, whatever. They can sit on all the boards they like as long as they're obeyed. But when we actually create a financial incentive for these people who are essentially unemployable when they get out of parliament yeah. to, you know, like to be like Andrew Robb and go off and work for the Chinese government after, or a Chinese government-aligned corporation, sorry, yeah, yeah. apparently, um, after signing a free trade deal with China. You know, like we are setting ourselves up for democratic conditions to be eroded. And the idea that George Christensen is putting together, you know, his own media channel um, on the basis of the behaviour that he's engaged in since he's been an MP is, is genuinely concerning. Pay him out. Pay him out. Well, it's interesting you say that because, of course, Andrew Lamming, who is another LMP uh, member in Queensland, uh, and as I understand it, is not contesting the coming election, uh, although there's some uncertainty about that now, it looks like. But it doesn't appear that he'll be contesting as an LMP candidate in any sense, in, in any in any event. But he's been found to to owe the Australian people ten just over ten thousand dollars in travel claims that he has made. The Independent Parliamentary Expense Authority, which is a body that was established to independently verify the veracity of claims made by MPs, has said that no, there's just over ten thousand dollars worth of claims that he has been paid that he shouldn't have been paid and he will need to repay that money. And Andrew Lamming has basically has simply said, I won't be repaying the money and I don't recognise their authority and I don't recognise that them is independent and it's a witch hunt and I'm not gonna pay back the money. So I'm not really sure where that goes to once he's no longer in Parliament. And and you know, part of me goes, you know, if he was getting a pension, we'd just dock his pension. <laughs> yeah. You know? We just dock his pension. But now, of course, he'll either return to, I believe he was, was he a plastic surgeon? He was some kind of doctor. Yeah, I think he's an eye doctor. Right. He'll either return to that and, you know, never have have I been. Can I just say, this is why trust is important. I wouldn't let that man near my eyes. No, me neither. And I wear glasses, so. Would not let him near my eyes, no. No. But, you know, the, the, the level of trust is eroded and you can't, it just boggles my mind that we have an independent body whose job it is to oversee parliamentary expenses who have gone through, and he, Lamming says, oh, they spent 40 hours going through my expenses with a fine-tooth comb and it's a witch hunt. You go, well, hang on a minute. These are independent professionals, members of the public service. They've, they've taken all the appropriate oaths. They've signed all the appropriate documents. They've applied the appropriate policies and they've found that you made claims that you were not entitled to make. You should repay the money. Simple. But they won't. And and as I said before, fish rots from the head. Morrison can go on television every day and lie and lie and lie and be called out for being a liar but have no repercussions. Then what you see is people like George Christensen, Peter Dutton, Andrew Lamming, uh, the situation with the Spark Helmore investigation, where MPs just act with impunity because what's the repercussion? They they'll go off and start a media channel, they'll go off and become a doctor again. They'll they'll take the money and take the cash and use it to set themselves up. Like it's quite it's quite disgusting, really. But it does it does raise the question, Van. Like the election is coming, you know, is trust gonna be one of these issues? that defines the election or do you think it'll disappear as the campaign gets into full swing? Oh, look, I mean, I'm I'm still scarred from 2019, you know, as are yep. a lot of our friends. Um, I, I, just, I just don't trust them. I have no reason to trust them and neither does anybody. Neither do conservative voters. Like... People who are not people who are slightly right of centre, socially liberal, economically conservative. I mean, the 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 pendulum has 
swung in a really horrible direction where we're not even looking at ideology anymore. We're just looking at behavior and accountability and democratic values. And I'm real I'm really concerned that I mean, one of the things that happened with that 730 interview last night, mm. um, or when it, the night before, I can't remember, time is a blur in my mother's house. Um is that Morrison, you know, Lee Sales was like, is, is your biggest problem staring you in the mirror? And oh, I'll take offence to that, Lee, and I reject the promise. I reject the premise of the question, which yeah. is a favourite statement generally before the lying starts. It's not my problem. It's not my job. Those so, are yeah, all- it's not my job. It's not a race. It's not a competition. It's not my job. I don't hold a whole use, mate. Yeah. I reject the premise of the question. Um, like the problem is that is they're prepared to do anything to stay in power, and we know that. They're prepared to they're prepared to lie. Yeah. And it's, we know that from the propaganda that it, like is appearing online and you know, which I get. So in my um yeah. in my undercover work, I'm exposed to all of the liberal campaigns because they're telling that- the person who they think I am as opposed to the person who I am. And I I really worry about this willingness to lie and the impact that that has on voter mm-hmm. behaviour because if people want to believe that's the truth, I mean, I've just written a book about this. Yeah. If people want to believe things are true and somebody is pretending that they are, you know, that's a really powerful relationship. People think that if they vote for someone who's willing to lie to them about the things they want to believe, that if they vote for them, these things will come true. We saw this with Tony Abbott when his denial, his climate denial, people voted for him because they think, wanted to believe the climate was fine. But do you think now, though, Van, you know, you know, what the polling is showing us, you know, we've had Bob Catter has come out against the use of labour hire and designated area migration agreements in North Queensland because they drive down wages. You know, Bob Catter, who of course is famously incredibly conservative and has, you know, we're seeing, do you think though that actually the, the, the trust has been so eroded that the, the, the battle lines around um, the economy are now no longer in favour of the Liberals? Is there been a shift towards the kind of wages as a as a default for economy as opposed to profits as default for managing the economy? Look, you know, I, don't, I, just- I don't know. I mean, I think the big question for everybody is do you really think anything's going to get better under this government? Like, I mean, that's the, that's the question. Do you think that housing will get better? Do you think the environment will get better? Do you think wages will get better? Do you think childcare or aged care or schools or hospitals? Do you genuinely believe a single word that comes out of these people's mouths that is in the interests of better and, you know, improving and more prosperous Australia? Because I don't. No, and I think... I don't. No, and I think, Van, uh, you know, Albo's budget reply, I think, sort of captured that. There was obviously he was critiqued by the liberals and, and some in the media for being sort of singularly focused because he was very focused on uh, increasing wages for people in aged care, increasing the minutes of care in aged care, and really positioning labour as putting the care back into aged care, the care back into childcare, the care back into Medicare, and and really sort of creating this juxtaposition between, as you say, do you think things will get better on, under the current government or is it time to change and go with somebody who's focused on these issues as the key issues? And building on that, Jim Chalmers has, of course, done a National Press Club speech where he's outlined kind of how he thinks about the economy and he's, of course, the shadow treasurer and if Labor wins, he'll be the treasurer of Australia. And he put out a really, I think, a really great meme, um, which is terrible communication because it is, uh, it's all facts, right? Like, and we all know facts don't change anything, but it just does a compare the pair. And you look at the economic facts under Labor versus the economic facts under Liberal and Average unemployment, average underemployment, average wage growth, average real wage growth, average economic growth, productivity, tax to GDP ratio, business investment growth, all of them come out with labour ahead. And it's been very interesting in my mind to see that labour's not backing away from the economic argument, but is reframing it 
in almost using that trust pivot to say, hang on a minute, you know, Chalmers has even said things like, you know, GDP caps or tax ratio caps are all politics and are bad economics. You know, that's things we've said here on this on this podcast, right? Like we've said these things are not good economic policy, they're about politics. We're seeing them, Albo and Chalmers, sort of pivot off the trust issue to say, hey, let's talk about the economy, but let's talk about it in terms of wages. Let's talk about it in terms of delivering on care, delivering on aged care, delivering on childcare, delivering yeah, the on- the economy is experienced by the majority of Australians. Yeah. As opposed to the tiny percent, infinitesimal percentage of people who have access to the chairman's lounge at this <laughs> terminal. Yeah. And that's really like, who, what do you think? Should we define an economy in terms of those people who get, by the way, personalized like to table service in the chairman's lounge and like a very broad selection of desserts? Do we <laughs> think that's what the economy looks like? Or do we think an economy looks like? you and me and our parents and our friends and what opportunities are possible for our families based on the material conditions in which we live and how they're governed and set. And I think I it, definitely experience economy in the second. I've been in the chairman's lounge what, twice or three times um, by extraordinary like circumstances and my ability to talk my way into basically <laughs> anything, as you well know. And, like, yeah, that's not that's not. That's not how the most, most of us live our lives every day, right? Not like any it's, indication of how an economy is going. It's what rich people are doing and deciding to eat that morning. And yeah, I mean, this is this is the thing. But I get really frustrated because there's a talking point on the right, which they've used very, like, very effectively. Which is, oh, they all do it. And this is where I get really frustrated. Is where you have you're talking about politics. You talk about Morrison being a liar. You talk about the Liberals absolutely mismanaging the economy. You talk about the fact that the, there is a, we know that there's a crookedness problem in the government. We know that again and again, lack of transparency, all yeah. the scandals, scandals about scandals, it goes on and on. And people go, oh yeah, but they're all like that. Except they're not. No. And I can tell you that, everybody, quite authentically, because at the moment I am a traveller between worlds. I manage to both live in the People's Republic of Victoria and I also live in the little South Wales. And there's a huge difference between the experience of being Victorian and the experience of being from New South Wales because I know I can rely on services in Victoria. I know that there is a government that's investing in infrastructure in Victoria. I know that in Victoria jobs are being created directly by government investment in my community. I know that in Victoria we are pressing ahead with needed social reforms that expand the democratic franchise, that create more specialised services for a greater diversity of people. And I have confidence in that process. And, yes, you know, terrible things happen in politics. There are awful people. We have accountability mechanisms for that, Victoria, where people actually get chucked out of government if they are naughty. And that's not the case in the state. You have to do something pretty pretty extreme and get caught in New South Wales for there to be any punishment whatsoever. Even even the idea that Gladys Berejiklian might have had to resign because of uh, misuse of information due to her position as Premier, but then was being touted as a potential uh, federal MP for the Liberal Party, sort of talks to the culture of of the party. It's really it's really interesting. The party were happy to retain her. The party were perfectly happy to retain her. But it is is what I just yeah, why don't it we find her Moringa? I mean, she's just been, she's just, she has resigned on the basis of, oh, wouldn't you believe it, a corruption scandal. What an ideal candidate to run. Like, what on earth is that? But it is interesting because the, the I, I do see a shift in the debate and then in the discussion. You know, um, Sally McManus, who's the leader of the ACTU, was today at a Cosboa. This is the Small Business Council uh, conference, and and talking about that the aim of unions is to ensure we pass on a better life than the one we had, but that this is the sort of first generation where we're not getting that opportunity. That that's not what's happening, and and increasingly, you see people talk like that. You see that that's the kind of Australia we've become under Morrison, right? That, yes, there is dishonesty and lies and you can say 
you know, people want to try and blanket say all politics is the same. Well, firstly, that's wrong, but let's put that to one side because let's look at the material realities. This is a show where we talk about material reality, right? The material reality is wages. Socialists. Yeah. (laughs) Wages have gone backwards. Jobs are more insecure. More people are having to work multiple jobs. More people are in dependent contracting relationships, digital sham contracting relationships, labor hire, you know, all those, all those material realities exist and it is making life harder for people and harder for the next generation. And what Albo's budget and reply speech I thought did really well was talk to the generation who, you know, maybe felt like their life did get better but who are concerned about what's going to happen for the next generation and talked to them in the context of there's a danger here that your parents are actually now worse off as well. You know, like our elders shouldn't suffer. In I would just say as somebody who has just given up on the my age care situation with my mother, like I really feel that. Yeah. One of the reasons why I'm here is, I mean, obviously I adore my mother and she's very ill. She actually needs me and there's not there's not a system between residential aged care and me caring in the home that is remotely functional and that's a result of the policy of the Federal Liberal National Government. Like it's it's just the services are piecemeal, you know, everything's outsourced, everything's privatised. There's, you know, one consultation that, that you know, is supposed to represent coordinated service provision. Like it's completely pointless and it is so dispiriting. It is so dispiriting, the whole situation. And, you know, comparatively, we're really lucky. I mean, I have a great relationship with my mum. You know, I'm here. You're holding up the home front. We, you know, we have an extended family and lots of friends who look after us. And I just, every day, I'm just like, what is this like for people who are, who don't have the supports that I do? And the answer is it's horrific. Yeah. It doesn't need to be like this. But this is not an inevitability of ageing or family or economy. These are public policy settings that are made by the governments that we elect. And while these guys are more busy you know, starting hard right disinformation based media networks after their parliamentary careers or refusing to pay back $10,000 that they owe the people or just lying on national television, lying to the president of France. I don't know if I mentioned that he lied to the president yeah. of France. Like, yeah. I don't know. That's on my mind a lot. I don't know. Something about lying to the president of France really disturbs me in an international diplomacy sense where, you know, relationships yeah. based on trust. But like, that's what they're interested in. Yeah. That's and they're not true. dealing. And and it is and it really is. I think you know. I think those are the battle lines for the for this election. Is who you know? If you want to talk about economy, you're talking about wages and job security, and who do you who do you really trust on that? And if you want to talk about the role of government, well, do you think more outsourcing, more privatisation, more neoliberalism is going to improve aged care, is going to improve childcare, is going to improve Medicare and hospitals because it doesn't seem to be doing that. Look, we need to go on to talk about the good news. Oh, I desperately need some good news. Sorry, everybody. You know, you can imagine situation with my mother being ill. When I focus on the material conditions of where this government have left my mother yeah. and I in terms of our care arrangements, I'm just incensed. Yeah, and and rightly so. And I think, you know, our family joins with many hundreds of thousands of others who are experiencing that as well. And but the good news, the good news, Van, other than other than the polling numbers, which show that Labor's got a good chance of getting in and fixing some of this damage, the good news is that Fortnite gamers have raised $144 million for Ukraine and for thank direct you, relief. Thank you, Fortnite gamers. Ben and I, Ben and I are a Fallout uh, family. A bit, we're yeah. a Call of Duty, Ghost of Tsushima um, kind of clan. Uh, but you know, I reach out in solidarity to my Fortnite brothers and sisters. I think what you've done is extraordinary, and really- that's just brilliant. And gamers all over the world have been participating in support for Ukraine in various ways. And yeah, it's just it's awesome. 
And the money, the money's going to direct relief, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, the United Nations Children's Fund, and the World Food Program. So this isn't some bodgy Jeff Bezos, I'm giving $10 billion to the Amazon Fight for Climate Fund, which will all be in Amazon stock and that I'm the chair of, which is all real, by the way. He did do that. Um, this is a real donation through real channels that will really help people in Ukraine. And, you know, I want to give a shout out here to um, hum- Humble Bundle um, has a pay what you want model for their game. Uh, and they've raised over $200 million uh, with 12 million purchases of their game. And they've given money to Make a Wish, One Tree Planted, the ACLU, the ACLU. Girls who code, yeah, yeah, and charity water. There's lots of really generous, charitable, community-minded people in gaming, and I think you know, I just wanted to give that as some really great news. 144 million dollars to help people in Ukraine. There's been a lot of discussion about Ukraine in terms of what countries in the West are doing militarily to help Ukraine fight off Putin, and that seems to be having some success. But of course, there will be a huge human cost, and we'll need money and supplies to help relieve that. So, oh, look, I mean, Mariupol in Ukraine has been ninety percent destroyed. Uh, those horrible images from Busha, the the city where they found the mass graves and the worst footage you have ever seen, like the absolute depravity. There is a humanitarian crisis of people who are going to have to try and put their lives and their homes and their families and you know their communities back together after just just inconceivable hardship, they need all of our money. The Australian privilege is that we are safe and no matter how bad it gets here, there are problems that do not touch us because of where we are, because of the, because of the democracy that we've fought for and the kind of peace and stability we've, we've built, you know, and the, our responsibility with that privilege is service to those who don't experience it and don't have it. I post a lot of links about ways people can help Ukraine um, and there's a lot you can do. And we should all be doing it because they need us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the good news is that the gamers of Fortnite have raised $144 million for the people of Ukraine. That's the good news. Also, of course, March was our biggest month ever for downloads. This is Benny's personal good news. Oh, I think it's good news for both of us. Yeah, it's good. It's good yeah, but I love them. I love how exciting he loves some stats. My Benny, well, I don't uh, work this out. My Benny loves numbers, <laughs> loves them. And, you know, it, it warms my heart because it's, you know, 18 months ago we started this podcast and it was you and me in the shed in the middle of the pandemic, you know. Not going, making sourdough. Yeah, going, we're going to do this instead and maybe maybe a 1,000 people will listen. And now 40,000. Thousand downloads in the month of March, almost forty-one thousand in the month of March in twenty twenty-two. We've had three record months in a row of downloads for the week on Wednesday, and you know it's because of people who listen to this show, who share it, who talk about it, who tweet it, who interact with us, who go to our buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday. Who tell their friends about it, which is awesome. Absolutely. Who make a contribution that lets us advertise to more people and build that audience. You know, we I've just and I know you too, Van, like we're both just blown away by how much people are into this podcast. Like it's we love doing it. It's it's a passion project, you know, it's it's certainly never going to make us rich, but, you know, the fact that people have, uh, so many people have dug into their pocket and said, yep, I'm happy to make a contribution to help grow the audience, to help grow the podcast, to get the message out there. Uh, and hopefully, you know, we'll continue to see that growth and we'll continue to do this podcast for many years to come. But I just wanted to give a huge shout out to everybody in the week on Wednesday community who have joined their union, shared our podcast, been part of this adventure, whether you're listening for the first time or the 150th time, it's just been a hell of a ride and we really appreciate all of the support. On that note, we should give shout-outs, Van. All right, I'm going to do it. Are you ready? These are our cadre supporters, 20 bucks a month. They chip in. We really appreciate it. 
Off you go. Leona Gibbons, someone. Kristen Cole, Richard Sands, who's not on Twitter. Glenn, Robbie, Brush, Daniels, Kylie Phillips, Diana Blunt, Lee Archer, Linda Cartwright, Leanne Shingles, Louise Moran, Donna Chapman. I don't have Twitter, but my name is Susan Myers. <laughs> Kerry Nash, 20, Billy 3, McCabe, Cara and Will Robinson, Narissa Simon, at Catagal, Lorena Nash, Matthew Hadley, at Naranga Man, John Sharp and Peter Bath, Aaron Rollins, Louise Watson, also known as Red, White and Blue Lou, Matt Bush. And then there's our Extending the Reach supporters. They are Stuart Munn, Erica Pizzuti, Claire, Joe Lapino, Steph, Rachel Fitzpatrick, Pauline Bate, Nandita Hannum, Bill Collis, Moira Louise Hawker, Megan Weckert, Graham Oxley, Beck Cody, Tracy Lucas, Belinda Bravo, Sandy Honan, Gail Vest, Greg Martin, Trainer, Amy Fawcett, not on Twitter, wise friend, wise, <laughs> Sarah, and Kay Tui, Bo Sullivan, Eliana and Andrew, Ivor Spillett, Je- Jennifer Berkeley, Andrew Bryant, Murray James, Peter O.C., Linda, Sam Hadid, Keir Patterson, Lizette Twizzle, Buncombe Basher, Katie Ward, at the real Neville Longbody, Sandy Baumgart, also known as at not Sandy B, Melody Patterson, and Renee McGee. We love you all. We love you all. And of course, a huge shout out to all of our Buck a Week supporters and those who've made one off contributions as well. All of the money that goes through our Buy Me a Coffee page, that's buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday is put directly back into the show. It gets the message out to more and more people and it is working. It is absolutely working. Three months of record growth in a row. Thanks to all of you. That is the week on Wednesday. If you want to catch Van and you're in the great and glorious socialist state of Victoria this weekend, Van, you're doing an event in Castle Maine, aren't you? I am on Friday. I'm at the Dialogues Festival. That should be really interesting. I'll be hanging out with the likes of Julia Banks and Claire Coleman and John Safran and a bunch of other people, and that should be a really fascinating discussion. So look up Van Batham Dialogues Castle Maine, and uh, I think my session is at six or seven. Don't have my diary in front of me, but you should totally come. It'll be great. And I'll sign books. Bring your book. I'll sign it. It'll be great. And I'll be lurking around watching as well. And, of course, don't forget to tune in on Sunday for the weekend wrap. Uh, We always try and wrap that up in 20 minutes. And thank you so much to everyone for listening. Don't forget to join your union. Don't forget to check out, if you want to see uh, me talk about more about the budget, I had, I was on, on the job. Uh, this week and you can check that out on YouTube they do a video podcast of that now as well Uh, you can check that out me talking on the budget there as well that's it before this episode I said to Ben oh look I'm pretty tired I don't think I'll make more than 45 minutes today so thanks for staying with us for the whole hour (laughs) thank you so much love you Vanny oh I love you I miss you miss you too this is going to be crazy bye